You are going to love today's show. We've got Madeline Hardacre, who is a MD. She is board certified, a lifestyle medicine physician and OBGYN. She's an entrepreneur and she's an ultra marathoner who really shares her approach to mastering the middle years. So in this conversation, she discusses what she learned from doing a 50 mile ultra marathon and how you can apply those lessons to your own life. She talks about creating long-term behavior change and where people get in their own way. She shares the idea of setting a personal health vision and using that to identify where you are holding back. And she talks about what is functional medicine and how is it different from the type of medicine we normally think about. Now, this is a really fun conversation with a lot of knowledge dropped along the way. So give it a listen, share with friends, and if I could ask a favor of you, leave a quick review. Now, Podcasts can sometimes be difficult to leave a review for, especially I find like with going on Apple Podcasts, you got to figure out where to go and all that. So I use a service called Love the Podcast. And if you go to www.lovethepodcast.com slash midlifemastery, it will give you several options to choose from. And so it will connect you right with your favorite podcasting app, whether that's Apple, whether it's Google, and allow you to quickly leave a review. And those reviews are so important because first, it lets me know what you really enjoy about the show so I can keep improving it and making it even better. And because of algorithms and also just because people do read reviews, it helps others learn about the show. So more people can learn about and be inspired by the guests and creating a phenomenal midlife. And before we get started, I also wanted to add, if you have not, please go listen to the episode with John McDonald. Now, this episode was called Focusing on What You Can Control, and in less than two weeks has become the third most downloaded episode of Midlife Mastery. And in that episode, he shares what he does around the importance of focusing on what you can control and how do you do that. Using your comfort zone as a guide. You know, sometimes we use it as a fortress or even a prison. He uses it as a guide to figure out how to get better. Love that approach. He talks about using small experiments to continually improve. So not just overhauling your life, but making little tweaks all the time. And he really gets into talking about changing your mindset to change your life, how he did that and the difference it made for him. So please enjoy today's episode, share it with a friend, leave a review and go make it a great day. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Midlife Mastery. This is of course, Brock Edwards and thank you for joining us today. So I have Dr. Madeline Hardacre. And she is with Women's Health Elevated. And actually, well, Madeline, one of the nice things is I'm not an expert in really anything. I'm a guy on the internet. You are an expert in a lot of stuff. So double board certified OBGYN and also lifestyle medicine. And I want to find out a little bit more about that. And you are also an ultra marathoner. Well, that covers a lot of ground right there, but I know that isn't everything. So how do you introduce yourself to people? Oh my goodness. I was a practicing gynecologist for 20 years. I have always had this passion for a healthy lifestyle and pursued training in lifestyle medicine and ultimately became board certified in that, but really found that I I just love helping women with just long-term behavior change to help their health. So, so that's kind of what led me to develop Women's Health Elevated. And I'm also a mom wife. Yeah. 
distance runner. And that really sums it up. All right. Well, give yourself credit for the ultra distance because, you know, <laughs> running, when you say distance, you know, for, for some of us, distance is, you know, a couple miles for some it's, it's less, but so you just did what a 50 mile ultra marathon. I did. I did. That was my first 50 miler just a few days ago. All right. That is, um, <laughs> Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am I'm definitely not up to 50 miles. So, oh man, so many different things I want to talk to you about. So first off, just from, so from doing a 50 mile, and for those of us who have never ran 50 miles, it's a little hard to get our heads around. What lessons are there that you take from that, that like a person could apply just to their daily life? There's still some great lessons from there, right? Oh, absolutely. You know what? I mean, first of all, I think a beautiful lesson is just what led me to do that. And that is, I mean, I'd always been a distance runner and I'd always had this interest in doing something like that. But there was this looming fear involved, (laughs) you know, of just like how uncomfortable it would be or what if I didn't succeed to this fear of failure. And a couple of years ago, I was really kind of... Now, I, I do have to interrupt you right there, Madeline, because it is a true distance runner who will discuss running 50 miles as the fear of being uncomfortable. <laughs> not suffering, not right, pain, right, just, right. you know, mild discomfort. <laughs> Don't know if I want that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. A couple of years ago, I was. it was actually when I was doing my health coach uh, certification, we went through this process with our in our class of developing our kind of overall vision of wellness for ourselves. And in the process of really exploring what that personal vision looked like to me, I realized that my vision involved trying to step outside of my comfort zone and and not succumbing to that fear of failure. And so when I created, when during this, this certification, when I created that vision of wellness and it really involved like looking at my life and looking at, okay, where, like, where am I holding back? Because I'm, I'm scared. And immediately those longer distances were one of those things where it had always just been in my mind of something I could pro- I probably could do. And yet I just never, ever took the step because I was just, I, I was, I was fearful of it. And anyway, so I think just for just life lessons in general, like looking at what are those things on the outskirts of our comfort zone and identifying them and starting to kind of, you know, have some fun with, with thoughts about those things. I I love that years and years and years ago, I'd always wanted to do a triathlon and I never did because, well, my swimming style can best be described as controlled drowning. Like it's just, (laughs) it's just not good, but it was like this epiphany, like, oh, I could take swim lessons. Like I could actually learn how to swim and just, instead of just saying, well, I can't really swim. And I know that sounds really weird and stupid now, but at the moment, it was just like this light bulb moment is I was kind of doing this, something I always wanted to do and never did. And I always had this reason. It was just like, well, why don't I just go do it? Like, Right, right. Yeah. But isn't that amazing when that happens, when all of a sudden you realize, like you have this like belief that's keeping you from doing something. And then all of a sudden you, you start questioning that belief and, yes. and um, 
recognizing that you can completely change that thought. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. So I, I, I love that, that takeaway of just something you wanted to do that you'd been holding back on. It just seems so powerful because I think we all have those things that we hold back on or we, we kind of dismiss or downplay, you know, we tell our friends or family, yeah, you know, I, I don't really want to do it. We tell ourselves, I don't really want to do it. Or yeah, I would accept, you know, I'm married. I have children. I live in the city. I live in the country. I'm single. I have no kids. You know, we, we all have our reasons why we can't do it. So you made the decision to, but there's a big difference between deciding to do something and actually following through. So <laughs> What can we take, you know, that, that commitment, deciding is one thing and deciding is very important, but the commitment to actually fall through. So what did you learn on the way to that level of commitment? Because that's a different level of commitment than even doing a marathon, which is a huge commitment. I mean, first of, first of all, and this is something that I work with my, my patients and clients on a lot, but just the importance and power of knowing like that vision of what you want and having it really clear in your mind. Like it was, you know, I, I, it was something, you know, like I said, I had had it in my mind, but then when you start like doing things like putting it on paper and telling people that you're going to do it, like there's a whole like a level of discomfort with just like kind of putting it out there in the world. And then, but, but I think that's an important step because then all of a sudden you're like really like starting to visualize what you want. And I think that's what really got me through those hard days or hard weeks of training is because I, I so clearly knew what I wanted to accomplish that when it felt really difficult, I could always pull up that, that vision very easily of knowing my, you know, I mean, people talk about knowing your why, but I mean, really understanding your why in what it is you're trying to achieve and, and making like some, I mean, just developing incredible clarity around it. So it's not some wishy-washy vague thing that you're trying to accomplish. Like it's, it's, you know, exactly what it is. It's interesting how just writing something down is kind of magical in that we think we have it in our head, but then when we have to articulate it, <laughs> it, it, it just becomes very different. Right. And what does it look like? And what is the plan? And how is this going to happen? And mm-hmm. what do I actually want to accomplish with it? And you right. know, just, just all those things. So and I think that's what was helpful with just like, with it being a race with a specific date and a specific distance, like it was, it was very clear what I was working on. Now, did you work with a coach when you did that or? No, no. I just, I, I have a good friend who has run many of them. And so we trained together on the weekend. She lives about an hour away, but we would train okay. together on the weekends. And I also trained my 22 year old son did it as well. So that was kind of a whole another you know, part of the experience was now, I mean, he beat me by five full hours, but <laughs> you trained him well. Yeah. He did the race as well. Well, that's, that's really cool. All right, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. And because you you mentioned lifestyle medicine, and I think I know what that is. And it's nothing that I thought you could get board certified for. So I'm really, really curious about it. And so just like I say, I think I know, but I 
get into trouble when I assume things. So tell sure, me, sure. No. <laughs> tell me what it is. How do you describe it to the yeah. layperson? You know what? And and you're not alone in not not having a clear understanding of it because it is a very new specialty. In fact, 2017 was the first year I believe that they offered a board exam in it, and then I became certified in 2019. So so it's it is it is new. It is what it entails is essentially six pillars that have been defined as kind of the foundations for disease prevention, chronic disease prevention and and reversal. And those are nutrition, physical activity, stress management, sleep optimization, helping people develop like a good support system, and then avoidance of toxins such as alcohol and tobacco and drug use. So using those six pillars to help people either prevent chronic disease or reverse chronic disease. And it's all very evidence-based. I really, really like that because that captures everything that I've always not liked about our healthcare system. And (laughs) so for those who aren't aware, when you mentioned like nutrition and sleep optimization and stress management, when you were just working on your medical degree, how much time did you spend studying those subjects? I think people would be really surprised at how little physicians are trained in those things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, and I think it's getting better. And, and with this specialty of lifestyle medicine, there are like medical school lifestyle medicine interest groups. And there, you know, you're starting to see medical students who are kind of pursuing their own education in these topics. But when I train, I mean, I graduated from, I'm going to show my age here, but I graduated from, you know, medical school in 96. And we had very, very little education on nutrition. And I don't like sleep. I don't, I don't remember any education on that. I probably had some kind, just in general, those topics were really not covered, but yet such an important part of our health. So it's crazy. It's interesting because, you know, my understanding, and this is a very much a layman's understanding, I'm not even remotely close to being a doctor, is so many of our diseases prevalent today are caused by lifestyle, or at least exacerbated by lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it's always baffled me a little bit that most of medicine seems aimed at treating the, the symptoms that the lifestyle cause, but not actually working with the lifestyle to mm-hmm. prevent that disease. So anyway, I didn't know that was an actual thing. And I'm so excited to discover mm-hmm. that there are actually doctors out there focused on lifestyle medicine. That is fantastic. And you know, what's really fun about it is like, for me, like when I attend the the conferences, then it's, physicians and other healthcare providers from literally like all specialties, which is a lot of fun. So to see, you know, you know, that you have your OBGYNs, you have your primary care doctors, you have your cardiologists, your endocrinologists, your nephrologists, like, like all of these specialists coming together and all with the focus of understanding how lifestyle affects their, their particular specialty. So nice. um, it's, it's so much fun. 
that is that is really really exciting as an ongoing solution i just i love the focus on the lifestyle first so mm-hmm. anyway well so but what can we take from that knowledge because you do a program called mastering the middle years and so i know that's focused around around group coaching but what lessons mm-hmm. can we take from that i mean I suspect anyone listening to this show is going to want to master their middle years. I mean, that's what the show is about. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs> the genesis behind the show was me reaching middle age and feeling like I kind of had life figured out and realizing that I don't have my midlife figured out. Like, how do I approach it? What's different? What's not different? And and also with that is the, the sense of mortality that I didn't have when I was 25. And, you know, working on personal development when you're 25 is way different than working on it when you're 50 plus, I think, in my right, mind right, anyway. Right. I've got some deadlines now that I didn't right, have right, before. Exactly. <laughs> And I'm also at this age feeling the uh, cumulative effects of lifestyle injuries, Mm -hmm. things that, you know, the past 50 years are are catching up with me and and they're catching up with all of us. So I, I like the idea of, well, how do we master it? So what are some key things that we should work on to really master the middle years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, I think recognizing essentially what you just said, but like, if we want a long, healthy, active life, then now is the time where we really have to become intentional about our health. Like we can't like, you know, there are times earlier in our life where we could kind of be a little sloppy with it and get by and we can't do that anymore. (laughs) So, so, you know, the, the decisions we're making now are really what are going to determine the rest of our journey. And so it's just, it's really imperative that we develop that intentionality behind what we're doing. And so, so my program, that's one of the things we discuss is, is just what does that look like for you? And, you know, I've learned some good lessons in doing this and that I always kind of assumed everybody wanted a long, healthy, active life. And I've learned that not everybody does. So, you know, <laughs> but for those of us who do, then we have to be, we have to be developing that intention. You know, the other thing is, I think just, you know, it kind of gets back to that vision of what we want, like really knowing what we want out of the rest of our life. What do we want the second half of our life to look like? And starting to, you know, to define that and set some specific goals with that. And the other thing you know, you brought up injuries and things like that is developing a focus on what we are able to do, not a focus on what we aren't able to do. And I think that's one of the things that I see frequently when I'm working with patients or clients is a, is kind of a focus on, you know, maybe prior athletic injuries or things like that, that are keeping them from doing things. And there's a lot of focus on what they can't do. And when we can shift that focus to all of the things that they are able to do with their life, then they really kind of develop a new direction and a new energy about it. So do you tend to work with the people that show up for your programs and maybe, you know, everyone's different, but I'm just wondering do they tend to be people who, like you, have always had a focus on 
health and fitness and are just looking to ramp it up? Is it people who have, you know, gotten sidetracked as life went on and now kind of want to get back on track, regain maybe what they had? Or is it people who have never really thought about it and now hit midlife and are going, (laughs) I've got to do something? (laughs) You know, I would say most of the people I work with fall into one of two kind of general categories. One is very much like me where they have really been very focused on their health and their lifestyle, but they get into, particularly for women, get into this kind of menopausal age range. And there are some physiologic changes that we simply can't avoid and that are happening and their body's changing. And, and essentially like all the tools they have been so accustomed to working, like all of a sudden aren't working anymore. And, and so, you know, and it, and it might be just something simple, like, you know, an extra 10 pounds on the scale or something, but it, you know, it gets, it's enough to get them really frustrated and saying, you know what? Okay. Let me, let me kind of regroup and, and work with somebody on this. And so, so that's a lot of the women I see, but then the other subset is women that have maybe spent their life up to this point really kind of focused on taking care of everybody else in their life. So, you know, they've been, you know, the, you know, mom, wife, career, you know, maybe elderly parents, like uh, their whole focus has been on everybody else. And then now they actually, you know, maybe their kids are out of the house now and they actually have some time to put toward themselves, but are kind of at a loss as to how to do it, which it's just a hard, like to all of a sudden, like provide good self-care when you've not done it for 20 or 30 years is just a hard switch to make. And so helping them through that process is is kind of another focus of the program. And we have a lot of fun with that. Do they show up nervous or do they show up excited? They seem to show up excited. Like they're excited to have, like, you know, I, my groups are small. So it's like five women at a time. And I think they tend to be just excited that they're coming into an environment where they know they're going to get some support. They know they're going to be with other people kind of in a similar situation. And just to kind of feel like some hands on their back to, start making some changes. I seem to be excited. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I mean, and I asked just because that's a big change. You know, we were talking about just writing something down on paper. Well, voicing it out into the world, actually making the phone call or, you know, clicking on the internet link or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's real. That's no longer (laughs) just this vague thought. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because I actually addressed that like right at the very beginning uh, about anticipating the discomfort, knowing that they're going to feel it. Like, cause as soon as they start like actually, yeah, vocalizing what they want to change in their life, then it is going to feel uncomfortable because our brain likes just really reflexive actions. Like it, our brain wants to just keep us comfortable in that little cave and just doing the same thing every day. And, you know, you are going to have that, that feeling of, you know, oh my goodness, this, like, is this a good idea or not? Maybe it's not like, 
<laughs> so I just tell them straight up to anticipate it. Like it's just going to be part of it. Yeah, no, that's good because, you know, one of the things we find is that people get buyer's remorse even over stuff they're excited about. You know, it, life life decisions like, you know, we, we, we buy a car we're, we're in love with. We buy a house that's just the house we've been looking for. We still have that moment of, <gasps> what have I done? Right, 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 right. And it's, like, it's that, that, like, it's the step of, like, actually committing to something. Like, yeah. the, like when you commit it, all of a sudden, you know, there's neural pathways there that, that give us kind of an agitated feeling with that, with that step. And, and I think it's helpful for me anyway, to acknowledge that it's going to be difficult. And I, I'm doing a half marathon here in a few days, so we're nowhere close to an ultra and I won't, <laughs> and I won't be describing it as uncomfortable. I will have other words for it, but actually there's so much freedom in that. I, I've done one or two before and mm-hmm. someone told me, you know, this is actually going to be miserable. And, and it wasn't like in a defeatist way. It was just like the acknowledgement of, yeah, it's going to be hard. And for me, that was so freeing because if I got into it thinking, oh, this should be easy. Why isn't it easy? This person running next to me, they make it look easy. Why am I suffering? That's terrible. I mean, that's, it's hard for the brain, but if I'm able to go like, oh, it, it, it really hurts right now because it's supposed to. Okay. Right. I can, I can deal with that. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's all like what our brain, like our our brain takes that discomfort and like wants to make it mean something like it wants to make it mean like it's a bad idea. Like <laughs> and when you start trying to kind of shake up that thought and saying, Oh, you know, I'm uncomfortable, but it's not, it's because I'm supposed to be uncomfortable right. not because I like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then like I say that to me is just so, so freeing to, to have that. So I'm sure they appreciate the forewarning of <laughs> um, the other thing, when you, when you're talking about that, the half marathon, that the other like fun thing, you'll have to see if you experience this, but the, like you'll have those times with longer runs where like you think, oh my gosh, this totally sucks. This is miserable. I don't know that I can keep doing this. And literally 30 seconds later, you're totally fine. Like, and, <laughs> and just when you start recognizing that you will have those moments where it feels totally miserable, but then you recognize that it is going to go away and you're going to, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that our brain does. Definitely. Yeah. In fact, I experienced that the other night on a, a run, my, you know, my shorter run, just, but just kind of that, like feeling like, oh man, I'm just tired. I I'll just, you know, I'll just walk for a bit. And I don't remember why I was like trying to wait out the song I was listening to or something. And you know, next thing I know the runs over, you know, it just, <laughs> that was great. I just, it never got worse. So I just kept going and that was fine. Exactly. And, and, you know, and for those listening who aren't runners you know, all this applies back to life and any kind of self-development we're talking about, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's probably going to be different because, I mean, you used a a phrase at the beginning, you said long-term behavior change. And I really like that term because, well, I guess I feel myself at this, at this age, like I mentioned of suffering the consequences of long-term behavior, you know, just habits I got into some support me, some didn't. And when I was 20, 30, even 40, wasn't that big of a deal. Now I'm starting to feel some of the effects, some of the consequences a little bit more. 
And so if long-term behavior change were, were simple, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. And so, I mean, we just all go do it, right? It wouldn't, wouldn't be a problem. Where do we tend to get in our own way around true behavior change? You know what? I mean, the number one thing that comes to my mind is people have a tendency to develop very all or none thinking with changing a behavior and they're looking for or expecting a a level of perfection with changing a behavior and i mean just things are not all or not like i mean that's what really like gets in our own way <laughs> when we take on that mentality with something when we're trying to do something and and you know my 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 patients will laugh at me because i'll be like you know what i like we'll talk about a healthy diet or something and i'm like but i want b plus work like mm. like i don't want I, I like when people go all in i'm just like oh no like because <laughs> because like it's not it's it's not sustainable to go from like, you know, to zero to 60 and, and not do any of the steps in between. So, so really like I, you know, I think that's one of the big places where people get themselves into trouble is, is they set just these big goals and want to do it perfectly. And, and, you know, I always ask the question of like, what would you do in your life right now? If doing B plus work was okay, like, what would you try? What, like, what would you challenge yourself with? What would, you know, and, and, and they, it really opens their eyes to a lot of fun things when they look at it that way. That is a, a great way to look at it because I am a very much pro level all or nothing person. And so I, I get in those traps where uh-huh. I can, I can do massive behavior change and it works really, really well until it doesn't. Right, right, right. And then as soon as I'm off track, for whatever reason, and life happens. So I intellectually, I know I will be off track at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, something will push me out of my habit or my pattern. And, but that's very freeing to focus on like B plus level. I love that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife is the opposite. She is very good at kind of the middle of the road behavior. Mm-hmm. Mo- I, middle of the road's not the right term. Moderation. Moderation. I, sure. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's, she's good at the moderation. I'm much more good at the, this extreme or that extreme, sometimes simultaneously. I'm very good at right. it. And, and, but that for those of us wired that way, that is very freeing. I um, used to work with a guy who, who, who talked about doing experiments and, mm-hmm. and that if, if you have any perfectionist tendencies in you, that is very freeing to just say, I'm not changing my entire life. This is, mm-hmm. I'm trying something. And if it works, great. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, I'll go try something else. Right. Uh, so, Well, because yeah. people kind of hold themselves back because they think like if they try something, then they've got to like go all in. But I mean, particularly like with like a healthier diet or something like, but you know what, when they really explore, like what could they do that maybe wasn't perfect, but is much better than it is right now, then, you know, they can actually start moving forward than being stuck in this fear of trying something and failing because they want something perfect. They're always good. They're going to be birthday parties. There's going to be holidays. There's going to, you know, and we have to figure out how to experience those things, but not get completely derailed by them and be able to 
experience it and then go back to our healthier way of eating or, or back to our exercise routine or not make the fact that we had a day of celebration mean that something about us that we're, we're, you know, we're a failure We're you know, we clearly can't do this. We, you know, we, we make it mean all kinds of things in our head that then just, that's what really derails us. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, taking it to the identity level of this says X about me versus yeah, I had a piece of cake because it was right. the polite thing to do. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Just like have a piece of cake. Don't make it mean something. Like, you know, that's something that I work with people a lot on because it is a struggle because they have the piece of cake and then they spend, you know, 24, 48 hours or longer than feeling guilty and, and having all kinds of other emotions about it. Well, you know, and, and so for those of us who are midlife, We've had some successes. We've probably had some failures too. And how? what can people do? How, is there a way, a technique, an approach to get beyond the idea of, well, that just doesn't work for me. Like, you know, I tried that in the past and, you know, maybe it works for other people, but not for me. You know, when I, when I work with people, I feel like there's a fine balance there because I think that it's important to learn, like there's no cookie cutter approach. I don't think for like, I mean, I essentially, I feel like there's all kinds of different ways to be a healthier version of yourself. There's not a cookie cutter approach. We have to learn, uh, but through kind of experimentation of what works for us and what um, doesn't. But I think you have to evaluate if you're saying, well, that just doesn't work for me. Is that thought though, getting you the result you want, or is it not like, is it, 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 are are you thinking that, but then you're really stuck in an undesirable result? Because if, if you're not getting the result you want, then I'd go back to that belief of this isn't working for me and start exploring like is that really true? Like, or is there a different way to look at this? Or is there a different way I could experiment with that concept? Like I, I get that actually a lot with, I mean, I have a perfect example for this because in mastering the middle years, we do some goal setting and I have had a few times women come into the program and say, goals don't work for me. Like it doesn't work. And I said, well, you know, let's really explore this idea because, you know, we don't know how you did it in the past. Let's look at how I teach goal setting. Let's keep an open mind and, you know, have maybe do it a different way or not just be so concrete that they don't work. What do people typically tend to find? Like, is that just an excuse that they've been giving themselves and out that they've been giving themselves Mm -hmm. Or is it just the way they approached it? Well, mm-hmm. they, they just didn't approach it in a way that worked well for them or. Right. And you know, what? so, so for like, if, if you use the example of goals, what I have found in talking to them is in the past, it has kind of come back to, to the all or none mentality and things like that of, yeah, they've set goals, but they've set like really 
big goals without much structure in between here and there. Mm -hmm. And so they end up thinking, well, setting a goal doesn't work for me versus starting with something really tiny and doable and where you have some confidence that you can do it and you do it and, and then continue to gain that confidence. You know, if, if you, if you start with something just very small, very attainable, you know, very relevant to the overall picture and you actually make it happen, then you get a little confidence, you go a little bigger, you know, and there's a whole kind of structure in there to, to, to reach that bigger goal. But when you just go from here to there, it's it, a lot of times, yeah, people think it, it just doesn't work. Well, we, we've covered a lot here today, Madeline. So let me ask, well, where can people find you? Yeah, Women's Health Elevated. So I have a website, womenshealthelevated.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, both with Women's Health Elevated. I think that's pretty much it. All right. Well, that that's plenty of places, actually. What yeah. website and two social media outlets that they ought to be able to track you down. I opened a TikTok account, but my kid, my you know, teenage kids are like, oh my God, mom. <laughs> So there's nothing there. Yes, I have not, which is funny. And kids are different because yeah. my, my daughter would be all for something like that. And I, I think my son would roll his eyes. So right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, my daughter was not excited. Well, so what questions haven't I asked you as we wrap up here? Are there any common questions that you get that we haven't covered? Oh my goodness. I mean, I think, I mean, we did touch on this, but I, I, I would love to just reiterate the the importance of you know so many people kind of have it it have this belief that their genetics are going to define who they are as far as chronic disease risk and and their overall health and you know okay well my you know mother is in a you know memory care facility so that's just where I'm going to end up or or you know my father you know, died young of heart disease. So that's just where I'm going to end up. And, and it's really our lifestyle that is going to play a role. You know, our, our genes certainly play a role, but the lifestyle is what is really going to affect your, you know, help you gain that long, healthy, active life that you want. And so I, I just can't reiterate that enough. You know, people will say that, you know, your genes are your genetics are kind of what load the gun, but it's your lifestyle that pulls the trigger. And it's so, so true. Like you get that a good, healthy lifestyle going and you, it can make such a difference. Well, so, and you'd mentioned when we're talking about lifestyle medicine, there were six pillars. So, I mean, I know this, when we're talking about lifestyle, we're talking about a lot, but what is one thing people could do right away that would, you know, get them down the right path. Like, where do you recommend people start with something simple? What, what's an easy thing? A simple thing. You know what? One of the first things I always go to is a good night's sleep. And people are like, people are always surprised that that's like where I want them to start. But I feel like the physical activity the ability to manage a stressful day, the ability to eat a healthy meal, all of those things are so much easier if you have 
good quality sleep on board. And if you're trying to make all these changes in your lifestyle, but you're not sleeping well, it's like you are swimming upstream. You're fighting against a current there. <laughs> so where do we start with getting a better night's sleep? I mean, it's you know, one of those I things think- that sounds so easy and yet obviously we're not doing it. So it's not easy. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what? I think what like a good first step I tell people to do is to develop a really good, structured, consistent bedtime routine. And when I say that, I mean starting like two hours before your actual bedtime and and being consistent night after night with that routine and with the time that you're going to bed and not varying it on weekends, you know, really trying to be very consistent, but it means things like turning the electronics off, not having the blue light waves that are going to interfere with our, they interfere with our melatonin secretion, which is our like sleep hormone. But so turning the electronics off, you know, dimming the lights, not doing anything like, you know, scrolling on Facebook or doing any of those things just stimulate our minds and can get us all wired in the wrong direction when we're wanting to go to sleep. So eliminating those things, um, thinking of things that really are calming. So, you know, dimming the lights, nice music or reading a paper book thing or stretching, yoga, meditation. There's all kinds of things, but creating a consistency in that hour to two hours before bed and doing it night after night. And then the other thing, avoiding um, alcohol um, soon before bed and definitely caffeine in the afternoon, evening hours. But if you start doing those things, that like that right there can make such a huge difference. All right. Excellent. So thank you very much, Madeline, for for being on today and for sharing your wisdom and your experience. And congrats again on the the ultra. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you.